This episode is sponsored by BeaverFit. And as always, this is another company that I've not only been aware of for several years, but I also completely trust and I know is a great fit for this audience. Having not only been a firefighter in my career, but also a strength and conditioning coach, I've seen the challenges that we have getting the tactical athlete fit when it comes to budgets, when it comes to space. And BeaverFit has solutions for so many of our challenges. When it comes to space, they have the gym box, for example, which is literally the size of a footlocker that when you open it up and build it becomes a squat rack, a pull-up bar, a box, and even a wall ball target. So you can get a full workout for a crew purely on that one box. Expanding out, they have storage containers that become entire gyms. You store everything in the inside and you can then deploy racks and pull-up bars on the outside. They have gyms on trailers you can take from station to station. They have tactical boxes with breaching props and collapse props. And then on the flip side, the durability is another issue that we see. So often departments buy the low bid, you know, the cheapest they can find. And ultimately that hard-earned wellness budget gets wasted in equipment that rusts and falls apart. BeaverFit's gear is designed to be used in the most extreme environments, whether it's the deserts of the Middle East or simply on the deck of a naval ship. So they are designed to not only be outside, but to be beaten up by some of the most elite operators on the planet. Now they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, 10% off your purchase. So if you go to either the US site, which is graymangear.com, or the UK site, which is getbeaverfit.com, Use the code BTS10, that's BTS10, and you will get 10% off your purchase. If you want to hear more about this company, and I'm sure you do, listen to episode 477 with the original founder, Tom Beaver from the UK, or the founders of BeaverFit USA, Alex Rudhouse and Mike Taylor, on episode 457. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. 
So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 511, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 484 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on the show, Corey Pern. Now, Corey not only tells his powerful journey through the fire service, but he's also the man behind the brand new magazine, Crackle. Now, my unbiased account of this magazine is it is exactly what's needed in the fire service. It's the only firefighting and lifestyle magazine available for firefighters in North America. And if you subscribe, you can get free digital access or choose for a print subscription and get it four times a year delivered to your door. Now, what I love about this magazine is it addresses the human being. We have some great publications that talk about leadership and tactics and equipment, but Crackle really does address the whole person. So I highly recommend that you go to Crackle Mag, that's C-R-A-C-K-Y-L-M-A-G dot com and subscribe. Now, before we get to that conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on. Subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of fast-approaching 500 episodes. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Corey Pern. Enjoy. So, Corey, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for being patient. I was a, a few minutes behind, so I appreciate you uh, giving me some flexibility. And uh, welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. Yes, thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Well, I come from uh, London, Ontario, Canada. So, I am um, born and raised. Brilliant. All right. Well, I love to start at the very beginning. So tell me where you were born and then tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. So, yeah, I, I was born in, in London um, and I have two brothers. Uh, you know, my parents wrote, uh, grew up in the country. Uh, we had a little hobby farm um, and just basically we're isolated. Um, a lot of the times we had to make our own fun um, and just kind of got used to, um, you know, the dynamic of making the most of what you have, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, from the day to day being busy, um, my parents, my, my parents owned a, uh, refrigeration company. So that's kind of where my journey started as I, um, was kind of looking and focusing on taking over that business. And, um, so I, right out of high school, I, I started my apprenticeship. I got my refrigeration license, uh, gas fitter ticket, um, and I was, you know, a licensed mechanic in a way I was working day in, day out. Um, and I, you know, I thought that was going to be the rest of my life. And I look forward to it. I was kind of excited about that. Uh, firefighting kind of presented itself in the last year of my apprenticeship, where I attended a, like a, a work 
fire recruitment seminar. It was a free event. And I went by myself, which was kind of rare for me as well, I, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I attended the, the event and it was, I didn't have any of the qualifications. And that's what it was basically a recruitment. And I went home and I just thought, this is what I want to do. And um, before I had left, I thought I'm 23 years old, you know, licensed mechanic, gas fitter. Um, and I thought I had my life kind of planned out. And then uh, I just thought, what else is out there? So firefighting kind of presented itself. And I just, uh, the next weekend, I was enrolled in my first first aid and CPR course. The weekend after, I was in the advanced medical responder course. And I never looked back. I just kind of kept going. I booked my uh, my post-secondary fire education, got my NFPA 1001 program and, and uh, qualifications, and just kind of set my sights on, you know, being a firefighter. Beautiful. Well, firstly, going back to growing up on the farm, I always ask this, I grew up on a farm myself and definitely can see, can attribute some of the skill sets that we need in the fire service to farm life, you know, whether it's the manual labor, whether it's kind of being out there in the cold and the rain and kind of setting your uncomfortable bar, you know, a little bit higher. Um, when you look back, what elements of growing up on a farm do you think set you up for the fire service? Um. I, I would say, like I said, we had a hobby farm, so it wasn't like we were, you know, having cash crops and, and livestock. But what I did, what I did learn was the day to day grind. Um, you know, my, my dad would work late hours. He would still coach our baseball teams, you know, knowing he was tired, never turned down a game of catch. Uh, my mom was, you know, always available, you know, emotionally and, and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, nurturing us to, to be good people. I think that's my biggest takeaway was just kind of showing up every day. You know, it's not something you, you had a choice to do once in a while. So, yeah, well, that's an important thing. I think anyone listens to when you said he's played catch, even though he was tired, I think that's an element of, of guilt for a lot of us. Cause I'm sure pretty much everyone that's been on the job can think of times where they had to say, no, they were just so damn tired, you know? And, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the costs of, of doing what we do is you can be tired from a day's work and still be able to, you know, be present with your child and play catch. But after 24, 48 hours of getting your ass handed to you, it's very, very hard to say yes when you just want to sleep. Yeah. And I think, I, again, this is in the fiber of being a firefighter is this is where we start to kind of break down is we have an underlying guilt all the time, I think, just to try to be that that perfect person, uh, the problem solver, um, the go to person, um, you know, and we we just set this bar really high. I think you, you made mention to that. And that's that's where I believe, you know, we kind of have to jump in right there and, and start to kind of dissect that and, and start to kind of expose where where our reality is and where where we can give and take and allow ourselves you know some some um some room to to say it's okay to not go play catch um and say you know i'll play catch i played catch yesterday i'll play catch tomorrow i'm gonna i you know i i am busy right now and then also being able to say you know what i'm not busy right now i am going to drop what i'm doing because this is what's important so we have to find that balance and we have to be okay with these decisions that we make. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of where this all started. Yeah. Well, it's, 
something that I've been trying to do now, I've been transitioned out for just over two years and there's some things on that list that I never, you know, I told my son, we're going to do this, we're going to do this and hadn't yet. So I think that's the other thing is don't try not to break the promises, just understand it might take a little longer to, to achieve them, you know, but if you, if you're constantly saying you can't do something or, or say you'll be there and then, then, then you're not, you get mandatory or whatever happens, um, you know, that, that's detrimental obviously to the child, but also to yourself because that guilt just starts stacking then. So I think that's a great way of looking at it. If you, if you kind of can just stretch out the timeline a little bit and make more realistic expectations for yourself and your children, then you're less likely to disappoint them and, and feel guilty yourself. Yes. Like yesterday, my, my daughter asked me to play cards and she's, you know, 14 years old. So that hourglass is, you know, going quicker and quicker for her to even want to do anything with me. And I was busy and I, I couldn't play cards when she was ready to play cards. And, um, you know, that was two days ago. And yesterday I, you know, we, we, we did play that game of cards. We made time and it was something in my, in my brain or in my Rolodex that had to happen that day, you know, to make good on something that she had asked me to do. And that, I think it's a very simple and basic, you know, ask, but it was something that, you know, was, was important to her. And it was something that it was worth fighting for, you know, so we did, we fought for it. Yeah. And I think and that's, she won. <laughs> well, I think that's the other side too, because, you know, I, I think you know, I wrote about it in the book too, you know, there's our children see other parents at all their games, all their events, all the, you know, the, the, the award nights at school, whatever it is. Um, and so again, it, it's a, it's a, a skewed lens because not only do we want to be there, you know, when we're able to be there, I don't think people realize how much it took to attend as well, you know, so it, it's just, it's such a, a different path. Um, when you first entered the fire service, having been exposed to the uh, refrigeration, um, you know, profession, uh, you know, and obviously me mechanics and all, all that kind of the hands-on tradesperson um, professions that were wrapped around that, they're manly men and womenly women in that profession too you know they work with their hands it's, it's a you know a demanding area but it's not something it's not they're not the professions that we usually call superheroes now in the middle of a, a hurricane refrigeration <laughs> they become heroes sort of the power line people and but um did you see any kind of expectation shift whether it was self-imposed or externally when you went from refrigeration to fire Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, any trade is a, is a grind. Um, you know, you're, you're expected to fix things or come through when a company has called you or a homeowner, you know, you're, you're going in there, say it's a business that could lose hundred thousand dollars worth of product in their, you know, in their walk-in freezer or so when you go in, you, on a day to day, you are, you are helping and fixing things where, you know, it could be detrimental. So, I, I remember when I got hired on the fire department. So, and I was still working on the side, like most firefighters do. Um, and I was still, so during the day I would say be in, you know, doing uh, refrigeration and then I would change and we used to have to wear our uniforms to work. So I would change and put my blues on. Uh, I'd go get a coffee and I would, you know, go to a store and, and people would hold the door for me because I was dressed in my, my fire, um, 
uniform. And I thought I'm the same person that worked all day and, you know, in, in dirty clothes and, um, you know, my hands were stained with grease and um, my, in my pores um, and by night or, you know, that type of thing, I was a firefighter and, and the different, um, the way I was treated was there was a parallel there. And, um, and it just, it kind of intrigued me on, I'm the same person and I get treated two different ways. And, um, and one, you know, in different, I meant different things to different people and and depending on what I was wearing. So I, I'll, I'll never forget that. And, um, you know, so I just, I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. It is interesting perspective because we're just people. And I think that's it. That's, that's one of the most, um, you know, the, the labels that gives you a lot of pride when you're viewed as a hero. None of us will call ourselves hero, but that's the kind of lens that some people look at us, but it's also cancerous in a way, because as you said about expectations and bars being set high, it's an impossible bar to cheat, to achieve. No, no human being is a superhero. That's why it's fantasy. <laughs> that's why in the fantasy section, that's where you see Iron Man and, you know, all these, these fictitious characters, but we are good people who've taken, you know, taken the reins to be one of the protectors in the community, but that's it. We're still human beings and we're fallible and, you know, we, we have highs, we have lows. And the moment we view ourselves as kind of, you know, Robocop is when we start that downward spiral. Yeah, I think I think we have to be realistic. Um, you know, I, I think if you ask most firefighters, they it's just something we we are good at. It's it's something that we like. It's uh, of of course we have all those um, golden nugget answers where we help people and we're there. And but I think it uh, in its most basic form, it's it's something we're good at. It's something that makes sense to us. It it um, you know it's something we enjoy. Uh, it's, it's a burden we like, we wanted to take on. And I, you know, I, you know, firefighting is a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, it's, it's something that you have to really kind of want to be, be in it, um, in order to get through the career. And I think it's, you also have to kind of, uh, you know, decide what you're going to let in and what you're not going to let in and, you know, to get through this career, you know. Absolutely. Well, you're, you know, we're doing this, looking at each other on video. Thank God the internet gets stronger and stronger as the years go on. So we're able to do more. I can see my guests now, which is nice. Um, and you're obviously in, in good shape still. So reverse engineering that. What were you doing, playing when you were in school age? Um, I was, uh, I played football. Um, you know, I had some, some unique opportunities there. Um, I had I always wanted to play organized football. Um, grade nine, I, you know, signed up like everybody else. And I was, you know, typically you're, you wouldn't even play or see, see game time. And, uh, you know, and I was playing and I was throwing, you know, a football around on the sideline and, and the coach came up and said, you got, you know, you have a good arm. And I thought, uh, well, I, I knew, I knew that it was always a back catcher, um, always had a good arm. So, uh, you know, then fast forward a little bit, the uh, senior football coach came up and knocked me, knocked um, on my classroom door and took me out of class and asked me if I wanted to be the quarterback of the senior football team the following year. So um, I had to make that decision where, uh, you know, do I step up, leave all, you know, I was supposed to be in grade 10, but I was actually supposed to play. I never even really played football. And anyway, so I said, yes. So he said, you know, kind of learn the game, 
hit the gym in the, in the summer and, um, you know, we'll see you in the fall. So I was hoping someone would, would be new to the school and take over the position and I would be off the hook, but, uh, of course that didn't happen. So, um, it be, it became this, I had to step up and, and assume this role. And I, I, I quarterback for the, you know, for three years. So, um, it was kind of, it was something where I was starting to come out of my shell. Um, here I am yelling on a football field, a cadence to, to a play or an audible. And that was completely kind of foreign to me. I was always very shy. Um, very, you know, I wouldn't say I was introverted, but I definitely, when it came time to speak in class, I was, my head would, you know, go down and I would sink in my chair because I would not want to be asked a question. Um, and football kind of started to kind of break that down for me um, to, you know, start being a different person. Um, and it was, it was kind of interesting what the, what the sports can do for you. So that being again, even though you said it was a hobby farm, you, you kind of hinted that it was, you know, somewhat remote. Did you find an element of tribalism in that team? And was that part of what brought you out of your shell? Um, I think it was, I think it was more just, okay, you've said yes to doing something. So now you have to do it. And part of doing that was yelling on a football field. And uh, so I think I just kind of embraced what this character needed to be in order to play the role that I was asked to play. Um, so it, it's that whole step up, step up, figure it out. I would say winners find a way. Um, and that's what I had to do. Um, and I'm not saying we had the best record. It, we, you know, um, we weren't the best football team, but the point was that, you know, it happened and we did it. Um, you know, I was, I, I'll, you know, it's like the Al Bundy, from uh, married with children, looking back at your, at your, you know, where your successes were or, you know, your football life. And um, for me, it was, it was more about what it did for me as a person um, and, and started to kind of unravel, you know, you know, some, this person that's sitting here having a podcast today, it's um, this would have been completely out of, out of character for me as, and when I was younger. So. And let me ask you this, cause I grew, like I said, I grew up on a farm. I, in England, I had no idea that one day I'd be a firefighter paramedic in America. So it's been a, a very interesting road. But one thing, and I say suffer, I think I think it's a, a natural thing. Uh, I think it's interwoven with humility. And as I just hung out with Jason Gardner, um, who's been on here a few times, with at the uh, Echelon Front muster, you know, Jocko and all those guys. And I was listening to him talk to someone else, another firefighter, and he was talking about the difference between humility and being meek, meekness. But, uh, you know, one thing that has always kind of rattled around my head is that imposter syndrome. Like, how has no one noticed yet that I'm a skinny farm boy from England, you know, wearing this uniform? Again, with sounding like you, as you said, started creating characters, do you ever suffer from that yourself? Yes. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, you come in and out of liking who you are. I think it's, you know, when I, again, going back to the football story, I liked who I was. And then as time went on, you, you know, you, you shift your focus to something else. Um, you know, very recently um, getting into the firefighting side of things where, you know, I wasn't working out every day. I had, I had, some, you know, some health uh, complications that, yeah, it took me, I didn't want to work out because I felt like I didn't feel well when I, when I did work out. So my point is, you know, I, 
I felt like I was getting by, um, you know, and, and kind of every, you know, coming home from, from work, knowing that I, I'm not in the physical shape I should be in. Um, and, you know, so then I didn't like myself in the sense of, I know I could do better and I'm, I'm trying to do better, but I couldn't be better. Um, so I, I think, you know, we come in and out of liking who we are. And I think when we're, when we're not liking who we are, we need to figure out how to get back to a person that we do like. Um, I, and it comes back to expectations, you know, setting this bar. Maybe it goes back to simple, you know, playing, you know, cards with my daughter. Maybe I don't like who I was at that time. Um, and I think it's, we have to kind of climb back out of, you know, these shadows of, of kind of hiding from something and maybe take things on face on. Um, obviously it's easier said than done. Um, but I think that's the most basic form. Yeah. And very interesting perspective. Thank you. And it, I did this two days and obviously you can summarize the entire muster and I highly recommend people attend because I'm, I'm just taking out the absolute through line, but it's ownership. It's extreme ownership. You know, it's, you know, dichotomy of leadership. All, all the titles of their books basically are the core values. Um, and when I drove home, you know, I'm like, I, I've had what I consider some of the best crews in America to work with and some pretty horrific ones. And in the, the lower times, I look back and I was like, well, you know what? I allowed myself to lose the ownership. Yes, I was in an environment where a lot of things were done very poorly, but it was very easy to shift blame to other people when sometimes actually it was me that screwed up, you know? So yeah, I mean, I had to literally this last seven, you know, 24, 48 hours, my brain has been spinning again with all the things that I've realized that I've let get away from me and it's time to, to pull it back again. So I think we have to constantly be looking in the mirror, not not to a maniacal level, but just checking in, checking in, checking in. Right. Like, I think we have to always put things through the filter of reason. And again, it comes back to, it's a very, it's a very slippery slope between, um, you know, thinking of having a thought and then feeling guilt for not doing something or overanalyzing or, you know, uh, recognizing it and saying, well, I wish, you know, I wish I, um, whatever, maybe I could have done that better, but you also have to give yourself some room to say, that's okay. Um, you know, I'll get the next one or that's not like you to do that. So it's okay. You know, like you have to give yourself that, um, that room and the framework to, to be okay. And I think it's almost like creating that bubble where, um, you know, you can't, if you, if you held yourself accountable for everything that you did wrong, I don't know how you would ever find happiness. I don't know. I don't know how that would even be possible. And, you know, it's, it may not be, it, it may be no, or just not, not now. And that's okay. You know, um, and, you know, fire scenes and calls, like we're expected to know so many, so much. And if you actually really thought about what a firefighter should know, I don't know how anybody would be a firefighter because it's how are we supposed to know everything? And, um, you know, when we talk about this all the time, we have training and we have training we're supposed to do or have to do. And we have training we want to do, um, you know, but how, how are we really physically supposed to be able to handle everything that, that comes our way? And, you know, it, it's scary really. And as I'm progressing through my career, I'm on the cusp of, you know, being a captain and, I can tell you that the mental mind shift of me going in and being a pump operator for the day and going in the next day and being a captain, 
um, an acting rank is a completely different day. And it really kind of showcases what I don't know. It, it definitely doesn't highlight what I know. And I think that's where I start to kind of, you know, in midpoint in your career, you start to kind of think, am I even worthy of being here? Um, you know, to, to have people follow me into a fire or into a call. And um, so, you know, we beat ourselves up. Right. And, but I think, I think just having that thought, you know, asking yourself, am I good enough? I think is a great starting point. And, um, you know, to be that, what you're looking to be, right? So Yeah. Well, you made a very good point as well about, you know, holding yourself accountable for everything. You'd never be happy because I think one of the the things I see people struggle with, and COVID-19 is a perfect example, is adapting. Saying, okay, you know, it a year ago, it seemed like, or a year, you know, 15 months ago, it seemed like this horrific disease was going to come through and kill a lot of people that was then then there was some awesome revelations that happened that absolutely reduced that projected death toll great news optimistic something for people to look forward to but there was a complete lack of ownership to be able to say hey we projected worst case and any responsible governing agency would do that but that wasn't what happened and it got a lot better and it's still a threat and it's still something we need to take seriously, but here's some good news. But it wasn't. They just wanted to hold fast on that original one and then it became, wasn't deaths now, it's cases and then it's this new variant and this new strain. And um, and what I've seen, you know, when you and I were young, the way we were taught to, to exercise, the way we were taught to eat is actually so wrong now compared to what we know about, you know, nutrition and f functional tactical athletics. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, th th yes, there was some deliberate duping by certain, you know, um, companies, but overall the fitness industry wanted us to be fit. And, you know, the health industry wanted you know, us to eat right, but they just didn't, it, it, it was wrong at the time. So you go, okay. No big deal. We're going to change it now. I think that's a, an ethos. It's a philosophy that's kind of lost to say it's okay that we did it a different way before. Because at the time, we did the best with the tools that, that we had. But now things have changed. It's okay to also say we're going to do it differently. Yeah, I think I think that's – we just have to adapt. I, I, like I said, winners find a way. Um, we have to somehow be able to digest what we're, what we're giving in information, whether it's from – Netflix, uh, you know, a, a, a documentary, uh, you know, there or uh, something we read or, you know, we're constantly trying to filter how we're going to respond to our day to day and, and uh, what's going on. Um, yeah, it, it definitely makes you what we've gone through, um, you know, just being able to or just having the carpet kind of ripped out from underneath us as far as what we want to do or can do and what's our what's our human rights and um, it's just, it, we went through, we're going through a lot and, um, I think, uh, you know, it took us out of our busy lifestyles. Um, some people were able to kind of step back a little bit, maybe absorb, you know, their family or, or things they always wanted to do. Maybe they started woodworking or, you know, some hobby. Um, so I don't know, it was, it was definitely a reset for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're moving through it, but, uh, it's hard to say what the future is going to look like. Like, you know, are we going to hug anymore? Are we ever going to, are we going to do handshakes? Like how's, how's this, how are we doing this? Right. I'm so. hugging everyone I see. So as long yeah. as they're cool with yeah. it, we hugging. <laughs> yeah. I know it's uh yeah. Yeah. Good. 
Yeah, but I mean, but that's just it. And when it comes to mental health, the way the way it was presented to us early in our career is very different than how it is now. Which was the right way? How it is now, unquestionably, you do not bottle it up. Otherwise, you end up burying men and women left, right, and center. So it's okay to say, you know, it's it's time to change. And whether it's like I said, coming out of what we went through this last year, or firefighter cancer, you know, mental health. I mean, all these things, the equipment. Um, you know, it's okay to say it's time to to innovate and do something a little better. Um, well, tell, talk me about. Excuse me, talk to me about your journey into the actual profession uh what were the standards like what were the kind of fitness expectations and were there even any conversations for you personally on that that road when it came to mental health um great question um so for for me when i was trying to become a firefighter i i was trying to obviously collect information i was you know the, the internet was there um and i found that i found it interesting that a career that apparently everybody wanted and, and you know there was no real guidelines on how to actually pursue it um there was we definitely knew that there was some things we needed there was you know minimum qualifications fire you know the fire departments were looking for but there was no real um i guess guideline you know for becoming a firefighter so um when i was when i got through um there was I took a different route. I, I actually put myself in the fire department's shoes and thought, what would they want? And what would they, you know, as far as, you know, being a firefighter, somehow I have to convince them that I'm a solid choice, um, you know, and I'm qualified or feel like I'm qualified and, and, you know, would be a good, you know, a long, you know, that whole marathon, someone long-term that, you know, will kind of, you know, kind of show up every day. And, somehow you have to get a fire department to believe that what you're saying is, is true um, to someone they don't know. So um, when I got hired, I started to kind of compile a lot of information on, on what I was doing at the time. So, um, you know, just different things I found out talking to people and try to kind of streamline um, the approach of becoming a firefighter opposed to, you know, um, the, you know, kind of a different, different way of looking at. It. So I, I, anyways, I, it ended up being a, a book that I saw published. Um, and it was called a, you know, you know, guide to becoming a firefighter. And I really kind of looked at the strategy. So why you would take uh, one course over another course, um, you know, from a fire, fire, uh, fire department's perspective, you know, um, how to kind of put your best foot forward and kind of looking long-term setting goals, so I, I kind of became a strategist to becoming a firefighter and I helped a lot of, uh, you know, people. I, I created a, um, a firefighter career expo that had fire departments come in and talk about what they would look for in a recruit. Um, I had, you know, sold uh, booths um, and different sponsors came in um, when basically tried to put everything under one roof. Um, and it was a, it was a successful event. It was something that kind of brought people together and, um, when I wrote the book, I self-published, I sold 500 copies of it um, around the world. And then I was able to, you know, fortunate enough to get published and, and kind of became that, um, that entity for, you know, the strategy to become a firefighter. So, um, and then, so I did that for, for ever since I got hired. So it was almost um, 18 years I've been working with recruits and, you know, the call at Sunday, 10 o'clock at night, they're, they have an interview in the morning and they're, they're panicked. Um, so, you know, it's just, I've always enjoyed kind of that pay it forward 
Um, and I, every time I talked to someone trying to get into the fire service, it reminded me of how excited I was when I got in. So it was, it was, I, I really enjoyed kind of, you know, kind of looking from their perspective at, at what I do every day and a job that, you know, some days are good, some days are bad and come home and you're glad you're home. So it was, it gave me this perspective that I think has kind of got me to this point where, um, you know, looking through other people's lenses, I think is kind of, kind of key. Now you, again, like you said, you have, you have a passion for the front door of the fire service, which I think is a, is a unique perspective. Um, when people talk about diversity in the fire service, you know, obviously we all know that there's, there's times in departments that have gone out and literally just found people of, of different skin colors and, you know, check boxes, fill quotas, pat themselves on the back and off they go. What I've seen as, as a true solution purely again through my lens are mentorship programs. And there's one here locally, a friend of mine, Chris Hickman started, um, where they create a, a mentorship program in the town it's free so it doesn't matter which part of that town you come from you can if as long as you can show up they will they will equip you they will train you there are scholarships to the fire academy here a lot of those guys are then picked up from local agencies that to me seems like a really really good way of affecting any sort of unbalance with the reflection of the community, you know, having true diversity, but finding the best candidates that were untapped prior to something like that. What is your, you know, what is your view of, of that kind of program or are there any other kind of solutions as well that you found to, I hate the word diversity, but to making sure that we don't exclude a group because there are barriers to entry like finances or, or that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, like, I just look at it like a fire doesn't care who is in the mask or in, in the uniform. And at the end of the day, uh, I think any mentoring program is, is, is a great step because it's, this job isn't for everyone. And, um, and it just, it, and the more we can do to figure out if this job is for us is, you know, definitely worth that time and energy because once you walk in the other side of the door, um, you know, we've had people, it's just not a good fit for them, uh, whether it was long-term or, you know, it just, it happens. And in firefighting and fires, you know, the, the career, the profession, what we're asked to do, it, it doesn't care, you know, what color you are or where, where your background is, or it doesn't matter um, at the end of the day when, when you're fighting a fire. Um, it's fire departments have always been, you know, struggled or, or struggle with finding the fit to the fire department, to the, to the group, to the, you know, it's, it's all about the fit. I, I think any functioning team has to have a cohesion, has to have that respect for each other, has to, you know, they, it has to be that camaraderie of let's take care of each other. And then we can take care of anyone else. Um, you look at any sports team there, you know, you, you, it's that it's, it's a big picture, um, you know, I would love to be in a position to, to hire recruits because you, some people you talk to right away and you're like, you would be an amazing firefighter. And I don't know what it is that they say. I don't know what it is that they do, but there's just that you get that feeling. Um, and, you know, to be able to bring new firefighter, uh, new firefighters into this career and, and watch them, you know, fill the fire halls and, and respond to calls and represent the fire service. I've always said that, you know, 
I, I don't care where you come from, but when you when you walk in the door as as being a firefighter and representing what we what a firefighter is, it, it's never about you. It's about the fire service and upholding that commitment. The um, you know, like I think it's so important that you know when we walk down the street that you know we people do look at us differently and and there's you know we have to you know kind of make sure that the fire service is upheld and 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 that's you know on the backs of of our of our predecessors and um you know so it's to me it's just big picture big picture stuff um and you know i just it's all about representing now another question for you then um when people ask me for advice and I'm not a wealth of information. I'm not, you know, well versed in getting all these people into the job. I just kind of use what I've seen and I, I've worked for multiple departments. So if nothing else, I've tested. And it's funny because I tell them from the interview side, you might be an absolute fit for one department, be exactly the same candidate, human being, nothing's changed and be hated by another interview panel. It just depends who you're sitting in front of and if you're saying what they want to hear as well. Um, but, uh, but my, my take to them is, control what you can control. So be the fittest version that you can be, you know, make sure that you're understanding the, the tasks and you're training for that. And then, you know, especially if there's some sort of test that you can prepare from, whether it's off the uh, IFSTA or Brady books, or whether it's, you know, a civil service test, then just make sure that you've studied the hell out of that. Aside from that, I'm sure there's a lot more, especially on the interview side, what are some of the other kind of, I hate using the word nuggets, but kind of common denominators that people listening if they're looking to go into the fire service may help them so the way i've always looked at it is at the end of the day the 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 only way they're going to hire you is if you limit the risk for them hiring you so what i mean by that is somehow you have to take a name on a, a resume and and turn that into a person um so that's where the networking comes in, visit the fire halls, let them put a faith to the name, um, show them that you're dedicated, show them that you're interested. And you do that by showing up. Um, and again, if you limit the risk, then you're improving your chances of them hiring you and you're, you're putting a face to the name. And, you know, sometimes that can shoot you in the foot as well. Um, as far as if you're, if you're someone that comes in and you're arrogant or you're you know, entitled or, um, maybe just talk too much. So, but either way, the fire department wins um, because they're not going to hire that person. So it's, um, I, I really like the, I really like kind of exposing the recruit, you know, behind the resume and allowing the fire department, the opportunity to get to know you before they have to make a commitment to you. So uh, if you look at it, so the, the recruit looks at it from their perspective of um, what they want how it would change their life, how it would, you know, but I always looked at it from the fire department's perspective of, um, you know, what are they, what do they need? Um, what would they be looking for? How do I limit the risk of them hiring me? Um, they're going to, they're going to make a commitment, a 30 year commitment to you. And they, they barely know you. So does that, and what, you know, what other part of the world do you, you kind of have to jump in and, you know, we get married, but you, you also can get divorced where, a fire department, when they make a commitment to you, is is completely one hundred percent jumping in. Um, so, again, anything you can do to limit that risk, I think, is just um, you know step in the right direction. And and it, you're right, limit the, the things or to control the things you can, like your your fitness and um, 
you know, the way, you, you know, you're kind of what you do and what's on your resume and things like that. But um, there's intangibles and soft skills that, that fire departments and, you know, stuff are looking for as well. And it's that, that commitment, the uh, eye contact, the, the firm handshake, um, maybe your family, you know, your upbringing, your, your why, why do you want to be a firefighter is probably the most basic question. And um, it's the one that really kind of sets people apart. Um, and I think what you what you're trying to do is, is show why you think you would be a good firefighter, um, you know, and, and to be able to handle this and your age has a big part to do with it as well. So if you're younger, then you have to show a fire department that you are able to, you know, understand the capacity of what this job is asking you to do. Um, you have to show maturity and that's where the sports and, and different backgrounds, um, you know, you rely on those experiences to help paint that picture that, that you have this understanding that it's, you know, it's um, to handle what we handle, what we see. And then if you're, if you're doing a career change or maybe a little, a little long in the tooth that way, um, then, you know, you're trying to show that you're still moldable and, and can be, you know, your, your toolbox isn't full and, and you're willing to learn and you're, um, you know, that type of thing. So you, you have kind of two different, two different spectrums, um, depending on where you're coming in to this, to this game. So, yeah. So again, whether you're, you know, 18 year old recruit or, you know, deep in your career, humility never changes. Like that's, no, that's it, ultimately absolutely. what it is. Yeah. No, I, yeah, we we have to be able to to have humility. I don't know how you'd get through this without it. Yeah. No, it's interesting because when I finally had a kind of winding road to the fire service through, you know, some medical diagnoses and stuff that were wrong, but regardless, I think it was the path I was supposed to take, but I was 27, I think, when I when I got hired. So yeah, and I'd be in a lifeguard and so I, I that was it, but it's funny when, when I've read some of the the books on how to get hired and they're like you know when people say why do you want to be a firefighter they say well i want to help people and it's almost like that's demonized it's like well no don't that that's the right thing that's why you should be in this but just find a way of storytelling that shows them you know your own path and why that's important to you and how maybe you've applied it in the past but i, I almost seem like they were saying don't use that you know and it's like well no that that that's that's the main reason why you should be wearing the badge because you want to help people and that's what carries you through as you get tired, as you get beat down, if you lose that, then, you know, the next thing you're going to end up on YouTube and the news. So it's a very yeah, important I, thing. I think, again, why they ask that question is to understand who you are. And that's, that's the real underlying question is tell me why you want to be a firefighter so I can believe you and, and see if it's something that, if it's a reason that's strong enough to carry you through when you're 18 years, 20 years in, in your midpoint in your career, you can remember why you wanted to become a firefighter, you know? And I think that's, to me, that it's it's the best question. I think as well, this is something I've been, you know, exposed to more, but it's also important if you get hurt, if you get fired, if you simply retire, to remember why you wanted to become a firefighter because that was before you ever put the uniform on you had that desire so when you transition out whatever that looks like find that again because the uniform didn't make you that good person that good person came in and put the uniform on well that good person takes a uniform off 
and then enters the next chapter. And if we lose the goodness and we identify with the uniform, that's, I think, where a lot of us get in trouble. It's, it's interesting. Um, so I, was, I always say it's the process to becoming a firefighter that actually made me the firefighter that I am. So, um, you know, learning, I did, you know, big brother program and we, you know, I looked out, I looked outside of myself. I, you know, next thing you know, I go from being a mechanic where I was, you know, I, I, I would work all day and come home. Um, I didn't volunteer. I didn't, I didn't do certain things. Um, I was all about me. And, and then when I wanted to become a firefighter, I had to, okay, well, we had to volunteer. It was something that needed to be on the resume. So I started doing it for that reason. And it morphed into, I was doing it because I liked it. I liked who I was becoming. Um, I, w- I was, you know, I didn't know any firefighters when I wanted to become a firefighter. It wasn't like I had it in my family or, you know, I didn't, I didn't even, I, I've never even visited a fire hall, to be honest with you. So um, at that point, so it was, I liked, you know, the process and what it made me become. I started looking outside of myself and I started working out. I started, I quit smoking, um, you know, and I started to make advancements that just started, you know, down a different road. Um, you know, the volunteering, the, yeah, it was just, it was just the process that, that kind of really uh, changed me. And then I find, you know, and you don't get hired when you want. Yeah. I find you get hired when you're about ready to give up and you're out of money you're broke, you're tired, working jobs, doing your courses. And then that's when you get hired. And there's something about that. For some reason, it's like when you're at your most vulnerable point is when the fire department says, we're going to grant you, you know, this, this opportunity. And, and uh, anyway, I just think it's, it's pretty amazing how that kind of unfolds. And, And you're right. It's, it's, it's the process that makes you the firefighter that you are when you walk in that door and it's not the uniform. It was never the uniform. Um, so I, I just found that kind of interesting. Yeah, no, very interesting. It's funny that same analogy applies with with romance too. I mean, for me, every time, you know, when I, after my divorce, I was like, all right, well, I'm ready now. I've kind of gone through some stuff. You know, let's meet some people. And it was like a montage of some comedy movie of, you know, online dating. And then it was really when I basically didn't care anymore that I met my wife, you know. So yeah, it is, I totally agree with you. You know, sometimes... You can wish and wish and wish, and it's just not happening. And the moment you kind of give in to the the universe, God, you know, whatever whatever you um, believe in, or you know, your philosophy, that's usually when when things show up. Yeah, no, I think uh, you know, it's funny. The harder you try, the worse it gets sometimes. And uh, I think you, you know, when you're doing something well, keep doing that one. And maybe another part of your life isn't doing so well. And also do the, it's that balance, right? So, you know, it's funny, you know, relationships definitely fall into that category. Um, you know, as far as the more you force it, the you know, worse it gets usually. And um, then we start second guessing ourselves and, you know, what value do you have and, and, and all this, and, which is, you know, kind of silly in a way, right? But it, we do it. It's a natural thing. And, but really, I think really what you're doing is starting to kind of assess yourself and, you know, and I think we have to kind of, yeah, any relationship is like that. And it's, it's, you know, it's all about turning attention to it. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned about stopping smoking, working out. Um, so can of lead me through the physical side of your journey and let's get to um, 2016 when you, 
when you discovered there was a reason why you hated working out all of a sudden? Yeah. So being stubborn, um, I, I basically, I started having a, like a heart flutter, uh, atrial flutter, uh, which is very common. And, um, so my heart would kind of, kind of spin out, I would say, um, on it, you know, so on a day to day, I didn't feel that good. Um, I, I kind of forgot what it felt like to feel good, but I was able to compensate, um, from that just be through, through will, I guess, and in ignorance. Um, but over time it would, it would, it was manifesting and getting worse. And when I say over time, I'm talking like it was nine years that I had this problem and my heart um, would, would race, um, you know, up, it was clocked at 300 beats per minute, which basically means it wasn't working. Um, and I base I, I kind of came to a point where, um, it became heart failure. So it, my heart was just getting tired and fatigued, um, and having these, you know, different spells. So I started having, typically I wouldn't have it at work. Like when the bell, the alarm would go off, you know, your heart rate spikes, um, there was a bit there. So a lot of times I was kind of, you know, flushed, um, kind of go gray. And here I am, you know, trying to do my job and ignoring, you know, this, this part of that, this, this thing that's happening to me, um, again, out of ignorance. And I had it on a couple calls and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Um, so I started to kind of get, I went to the doctor. Um, and then that's when I kind of realized what I had and there was, you know, some, uh, some therapy that can happen or that we could do, which was ablation therapy where they go in and, and, uh, cauterize, um, through catheters up into the heart. Um, and they basically, um, kind of stop what's happening. So with the flutter, there was, you have your AV node and your, and your SA node where your heart's natural pacemakers. And I had electroactivity that was overriding my heart's natural pacemakers and allowing it to fire whenever it wanted. So when I was sitting or resting, my heart was still at 160 beats per minute type thing. So it was, uh, anyway, so fast forward, um, working out with, I was trying to do pull-ups and push-ups and the, you know, and I would literally, I, the rest of my day was ruined because I did this workout. Um, so I stopped kind of working out. It didn't make me feel good. I couldn't function. Um, and so here we, you know, that's kind of how it started to deteriorate. So um, anyways, I got to the point that my heart was, my lungs were filling up and I couldn't sleep at night. So I had one, my first night, I, I sat in the couch all night and basically I couldn't sleep. I did that for four nights where I literally would work the next day um, because I was fine when I was up, but it was only when I laid down. And uh, anyways, by the fourth night, I basically at three o'clock in the morning, I just said, I'd give up. So the next, I didn't even go in at the hospital at that point. I went the next day when it was convenient to go. <laughs> you don't know didn't where the firefighters are for, <laughs> for coronary failure. <laughs> yeah. Didn't want to, didn't want to wake the wife up. And uh, anyways, went in the hospital and turns out my heart was like a 20% efficiency rating. Um, I had heart disease. I was basically dying. And, um, and even I had like, I was with, I had IV within five minutes walking in that hospital. And um, so it was, it was kind of one of those things. I, I spent a week in the hospital and, you know, the whole time I wasn't thinking why me or, you know, I, I just, I just couldn't believe how long I had prolonged this, this, uh, you know, therapy or, or help. And it was to the point that the, the um, acting, uh, you know, doctor was, he wanted to meet me. 
So he came in like at two o'clock and like the first or second night. And he just wanted to meet the guy that had put off coming in for so long and, and, you know, and was in the state that I was in and then still doing what I was doing. Um, still working and working out and functioning and doing, you know, different things. So anyways, I just remember having that conversation and I thought I was kind of this marvel to them. Um, and I just thought, how bad really am I if, if this is what's happening? So you probably see a lot of uh, cardiac patients. So that says something. Yeah. And I just, I always thought, you know, it's not that bad. I'm everyone had like hundred, uh, flutters are very common. So it's not that bad. I'm just, I just got to suck it up. And, um, of course, like I forgot what good felt like. I literally was operating. I was irritable with my, with my wife and, you know, anything. I just didn't, I wasn't functioning with enough blood in my brain to basically, you know, to get things done and to the capacity of what I needed to get done. But anyway, somehow I managed to get through that and I just couldn't believe my ignorance. I, I just couldn't believe that I was that, I don't know if it was, I was scared to go in. I, I don't think any of us want to go in and say, here, there's something wrong with you. This is let's get you fixed up. So I had to swallow that whole coming back to being humble and, and things like that. It was, it was a real pill to swallow in the sense that I wasn't well and I was dying. And, um, you know, in that framework, I, I said goodbye to my kids twice because, you know, you're going in for a surgery and I didn't, they were young. And, um, you know, so I was doing the whole, I love you. And, you know, without, without them knowing that, I could stroke out or I could have, you know, blood clots are the biggest problem. Right. So, um, so it was, you know, these things are here, we're trying to deal with our job, but then there's other stuff going on. And um, I just, I just kind of really started to like who I was becoming again, where it's um, it wasn't about, it was just trying to get through this. And that became kind of my hurdle. Um, It became my new focus was getting better. Um, I was off work for a year. I had four ablation therapies um, and, you know, you talk about humility at my phone, stopped ringing. People stop asking me to help them. Um, I, you know, even going for a beer or whatever, like I was like, I became this kind of, I wouldn't say an outcast, but I definitely was ripped out of my life. And that's the, that's the takeaway that, um, you know, I, I really kind of gravitated to was kind of understanding how, say it was an injury, say it was a, a you know, uh, you know, a tear of a muscle that took you out of work. I find the longer I was out of work, the harder it was to come back to work for me mentally. Um, because I, I started to second guess, you know, being a firefighter in the sense of, you know, can I do this anymore? And, and because I think when you really think about what we do, it's not easy. And, um, I think there has to be some ignorance and, and, you know, just going to work and then getting it done and figuring it out. And, um, so, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I had to kind of rebuild myself. And um, one of my takeaways and one of the things I'm most proud of is that when my life was being taken away from me, I loved who I was. Um, I loved the type of dad I was. I loved the husband that I am. I, I love, you know, the people I work with. So it was, for me, it wasn't like I wanted to change everything. For me, I felt like I just wanted to keep doing what I was doing and, and I liked who I was. And I thought that was kind of a neat, you know, I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it was my own, uh, my own opinion at that point. So, but uh, I definitely liked who I was. I liked the, you know, who I am to my parents. I like, I like who I am in this world. Um, so 
I was, I, I think I kind of wanted to build on that. And that's, that's kind of where, you know, kind of led me to where I am today here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a powerful story and thank you for sharing it. Um, a few questions for you. When you first entered the fire service, I'm assuming you were in pretty good shape on, on yes. day one. Okay. And then prior to, you know, these arrhythmias, had you put on like a huge amount of weight or anything like that? Or were you still overall in pretty good shape? Yeah, I was still in really good shape, actually. Um, you know, never had any any heart problems ever. Um, and it just happened one night. And I think, honestly, I think it came from an anxiety or a stress. Um, it was starting, I, I noticed I wasn't breathing properly. Is that rapid, shallow breathing, always trying to, there's not enough hours in a day, trying to get everything done. Um, and I think it kind of came in that, you know, I, I'm, I, I think stress was the the catalyst to a lot of it. Um, and then that, that's my take on it. Um, that's, you know, I would, I would argue that. So, um, yeah, I was in good shape. I was working out every day at that point and then started kind of having some issues and then I was able to kind of look past it, but. And um, how long into your career was the first incident? Um, so it would have been about probably seven or eight years in. Okay. And what, what was your shift pattern? 24, 48? We were uh, fourteen-hour nights and ten-hour day shifts. Okay, so switch. So, so of course, there's never one factor. You know, that we, some of us are genetically more predisposed to certain things than others. But an area that I'm, you know, hell bent on making sure we address, and I know you have in in, in the magazine as well, is the sleep deprivation element and what that does to us mentally, what it does to us physically. The, the, the tones, obviously, we know it's an issue because they're creating different ones now. So the research has been done that if, you know, a clapper goes off, a claxton goes off in your ear, you know, you shit yourself and you yeah. go run the call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just so important that we understand the concept that you have a draw ground of fit, mentally and physically fit men and women day one in the fire service in in the police service and you know in in corrections and then um maybe not corrections i don't know if they're always super fit at the beginning i'm not as well versed with that profession but um you look at the 10-year firefighter the 10-year police officer they don't look like that person anymore and it's i don't believe it's because they just give up because they just you know i'm, I'm just gonna get fat now I, I got the job i don't believe that for a moment there's a very small percentage that that's the truth, but the majority of us want to maintain that, but it breaks us down. And whether it manifests in cancer, in heart disease, in obesity, in arrhythmias, in autoimmune disease, the one factor that's different from the civilian world is the shift work. So I think it's an important story because here you have a man who grew up healthily in a kind of, you know, like you said, a countryside environment who was very fit, who understood his fitness, who maintained his fitness. And still had an issue. We we have to reverse engineer, you know, same with COVID nineteen, the kind of refusal to acknowledge the underlying issues. You miss the entire picture, then you never get to the root. So you may have slept nine hours every night and still had that arrhythmia, or you may have slept nine hours every night and never had that arrhythmia. I think it's an important part of the equation that we talk about. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, again, I never I never really said why me. It was more or less to, it was just here I was and and had to get through it. But I mean, it can you can be we can all be ripped out of our life at any moment, um, you know. And that that that's just the reality of it. But um, 
you know, firefighting, it's in phases when you're coming into the fire service. Yeah, you're right. You're in shape, you're, you're fit, you're in the best, you know, shape of your life usually, or typically. And then as you, you your 10 year career, your 10 year firefighter and your, your 18 year, it's like, there's kind of this no man's land in the sense of you're, you're shifting where you're, um, you know, what you're looking at or what you're doing. So it could be your kids. It could be, um, you're, you know, you got out of a routine of working out. Um, you know, again, I, I was, a you know, typically I'm a pump operator or, you know, uh, like an engineer. So I, I'm kind of coming out of going into the burning building all the time. And I'm standing at the road on, on a pump panel. So I, you know, I, I was able to get away with not being in the best shape of my life. There was a window. And I'm, again, when I'm, when I'm mentioning, like when I'm an acting rank, now I'm the one going back in the fire. And, and then it was like, you know, kind of now I'm being called out, you know, in the sense of are am I in the best, am I in physically able to, to do this job the way it needs to be done again. So, you know, it's, and now I'm 18 years in, so it's, you know, I had to turn my attention to back, getting back into the best physical shape I can be in, in order to do what I have to do. And, and anyways, fire, firefighting is a, you go through these different, um, you know, periods in your career and, you know, it's, it's basically until someone calls you out on it, um, and says, you know, like, and start eating better. I've seen this, you know, in the 18 years I've been there is, you know, how we're eating our shift meals, different things. There's definitely, you know, we're getting, we're getting there, but um, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting perspective. I never really heard anyone put it that way. And when I look at my career, that was probably why, one of the reasons why I did stay in shape, because I always stayed at the firefighter level, partly because I moved around departments. And honestly, I, I never wanted to promote. As I got deeper in, I just, I love that role. But that is a very valid point. It should be, in theory, easier for a firefighter to stay motivated to work out than, for example, a BC. So yeah, just just recognizing and owning that that's a very good point. You know, I think we don't have to imagine very much. What if I went in a fire and my partner went down? Because you're the one in the fire with your partner. But as a BC, you know, on a on a uh, SUV with a microphone in their hand, maybe it's a little harder stretch. But still, absolutely could happen. I mean, you look at the World Trade I and mean, how many white helmets were inside. You know, facilitating rescues then. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely uh, another another opportunity to look in the mirror and go, have I lost my motivation because I've discounted the chances of me having to use my physicality in this role? Right. And I like this is this is where the breakdown happens to me is so a firefighter knows they should be in shape. We know that, um, you know, and then it doesn't matter where we are in our career. We should be in shape because of what we're what we're asked to do. So as soon as we're not in shape or we're maybe we, you know, we're starting to kind of turn our attention, I guess, away from being in shape. And then we, then there becomes the guilt and it's like, oh, I'll work out tomorrow. I'll work out on Monday. I'll start. And, um, you know, and we know if, as soon as you say that it's already too late Monday, Monday comes, you're not gonna, you're not gonna show up. So then it becomes, now you're kind of hiding from the person you want to be and you, you're kind of looking the other way and you're making excuses. Um, and then again, that, that becomes to me and on the fitness side of things, it starts to deteriorate that firefighter because we mentioned it already, the guilt it's, I know I should be doing this. I remember, um, so not, you know, a little while back, but 
before I started the magazine, my wife had made a commitment to, to getting in shape. And so she anyways, didn't drink for no alcohol for 60 days, started, you know, kind of eating different. Um, and I was still eating the bag of chips uh, at night, having my beer. Um, and here I am, you know, kind of looking at putting together a magazine focused on lifestyle and health for firefighters. So, um, so here we are. Right. And she would, and I, as I'm eating the chips, I'm thinking, I just felt this guilt, like I'm the firefighter and here, here's my wife acting and having the lifestyle that I should probably be having. And it just got worse. I, you know, you're turning your attention. It's like debt. Like you start thinking about how you have no money. And then next thing you know, you have even less money because you're, you're thinking about it. So anyway, so that, that went on and um, it's just interesting to me. And I, you know, it's, and that wasn't even still enough for me to say, okay, I'm going to start working out on Monday because um, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. I had, I've had a clear bill of health, um, you know, feeling, feeling good, but I associate working out with feeling bad. So there was a stigma there for me. So then I had to step back and look at myself from, okay, forget what, what, you know, what's happening on the surface. I had to look at what's, what's really kind of going on. And to be honest, I was kind of scared. Um, that's, I didn't want my heart to spin out again. Even I've been feeling good and great and clean bill of health. I didn't want to go back to that, that person, that version of myself. And, and I, I, I associated working out with feeling shitty. So there was a lot going on. And then I, you know, you start to not like who you are. It comes back to, you ha- I know I, you know, I liked who I was, I was, or I am. And I start, you start to not like who you are because you feel like you're a fraud. Um, and so it, it was interesting to kind of dissect that, but, um, this was happening, you know, and then so started this magazine and, and, and again, I, I, I look at myself as a student to the magazine. I'm not coming from a position of, Hey, you should be like me. It's uh, it's more or less like, Hey, let's try to figure this out because I don't have any of these answers. And, and that's kind of what, where we are. But, um, when I was sourcing one of my fitness articles, I had a, a firefighter call me out and say, what are you, what are you doing for your workout? And I, uh, I didn't have an answer. I, I kind of danced around the question and, uh, this is someone I, I didn't know. And basically, you know, if you can imagine going to work and saying, Hey man, you're, you're getting overweight. Uh, what let's work out together. Let's, we don't do that. It's hard for us to do that because now I'm kind of calling the, you know, our, our coworker out or, or, you know, we don't want to be that person. So here's somebody I didn't know, you know, a brother from another station type thing out in the world, basically calling me out. And uh, I got off the phone. I thought, wow, like that was great. I needed that. It was like, and he didn't, he just did it from a casual, what are you doing? And he said, the next time we talk, I want to hear that you're doing something. And I thought, all right. And then I hung up the phone. I thought, whatever, you know, (laughs) like, I just won't talk to him again. (laughs) 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 So, you know, but here we are. And then, you know, when you have that quiet moment, it's like, you know, I need to do better. I need to do better and I need to try. Um, So anyways, my wife and I started working out together. We've, we're, we did the, we started with the P90X, you know, three program. And uh, we, we, you know, we tried to do this together and anyways, so now we're working out seven days a week again. And this is, we're, we're doing it, you know, on our second cycle of it. So anyways, the point is that, you know, we all, it's just these moments and it took somebody to call me out. I got sick of hearing it. 
how, you know, how I needed to do better from my own voice and my own head. And I did something and I, I, I feel so much better again. I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm, I'm working towards it. Like most of us are, you know, are we ever really where we want to be? And I, you know, that's, it's the, it's the search for happiness that it's not being happy. You know, it's, it's trying to be better. And anyway, so I'm in a better spot. And um, so I just, uh, it's the people that we're, that's how we're going to get through this career is, is looking out for each other like that. So um, yeah, so here we are. Yeah. Well, that's, that's again, another, another very transparent, courageous story of ownership. And you know, I thank you for that. Um, I had the same with, I talk about a lot with, with alcohol. Like I drink a small about very, very often. And I know that's one of my things that I lean into that I have to keep, you know, working and I'll have, you know, periods of a few weeks where I don't and then I'll start again. So, um, but you know, that self-reflection I think is so important. And you, you said about P90X just, just so I can, uh, you know, be clear. So their seven day, seven days a week program is undulating, isn't it? Some are hard workouts, some more like yoga, that kind of thing. So you're not just yeah, crushing yeah. it every single day. Yeah. At the end of the day, like it, it kind of feels that way that you are, um, you know, the body takes a beating, but um, you know, and, there, and there's a lot of firefighters that have programs out there. So I'm, I'm going to start kind of jumping into these different programs. And I have, I have one that I'm looking forward to starting here. Um, I think very soon. Um, so, you know, there's, again, I, I love the fact that firefighters have these businesses and they, um, you know, are creating these programs and, and, and kind of focusing on what we're doing, job, job oriented type workouts. Um, so, you know, I, I plan to kind of dive into some of that. I looked at the, the P90 as, as just, as a, put it in and, and watch the video and, and do the workout. It's, it's the most basic thing that I could do to get started again. Um, and as much as, you know, it, they're annoying videos, um, you know, in, in certain ways, cause it's the same thing over and over when you get, when you get through the series, um, you almost know all the dialogue and, and everything, but, um, you know, the, the, the point is the, the workouts there, the, the proofs in the pudding, it, you have to show up and, um, yeah, it, it works, it works. And, and all these workouts, you know, you just have to do something. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but yeah, have to yeah. do something. Well, I think so then just to kind of underline something that um, I learned from Jeff Nichols is one of the Navy SEALs I had on who was also the, he was in SEAL Team 6, he was their strength and conditioning guy, and now he's a highly respected coach. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about in the tactical athlete space, a pretty knowledgeable person, but he he was one of the first people that made me realize that it's so easy for us to overtrain. And as we get older, especially the, the rest and recovery is important. So if the P90X wasn't undulating, then, you know, sometimes those programs may not be the best fit. And it's like you said, to get you through the door, beautiful. But if you shift now to a more, more firefighter focused, um, you know, programming, then that should have the inbuilt, like you come off shift, you don't want to be doing MRF. You know, you want to be doing something that's moving, getting your heart rate up, but you're not in that red zone. Then after a, you know, a day or two of good sleep, that's when you can, you know, really hit it hard. But understanding how you work out around our shift cycles, I think is a very important part. Yeah, I think, I mean, the workout is one thing because it helps us physically be able to do our job, but the what it does to the mind, and it's almost like a, a detox for the mind and your thoughts. And it's, it changes. It's, it's funny when you're, when you're busy, you think I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to do this. But yet, if you just took that half hour and you did a workout, then 
your work is still going to be sitting there waiting for you, but yet you're in a better mindset to be able to do it. And it's, it's, it's just, um, but it's hard. It's easier said than done. And it's just a matter of just kind of starting and doing something, but there, there is a mind shift, obviously, again, this is not something new to, to us that, you know, we didn't know that we just choose to ignore it sometimes. Um, but anyways, I, you know, it's all about the planning, making it part of your day. Um, my favorite thing is to go for a walk now, um, like at lunchtime, midday, um, I find by the end of the walk, I'm breathing normal again. Like I get, you know, you get wound up and then uh, I go for a walk and come back. And next thing you know, it's, you kind of settle back into, you know, your day. So it, these little things, um, make a big difference. I think, uh, you know, how we feel and, and, um, again, spilling some of the water out of our cup so we can deal with some things. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that um, there was a workout I did a while ago and obviously it was, I think I I want to say I transitioned out, but it was around a very stressful time and, and we started doing the one. I think it was snatches and some other things and just, just a very technical workout. And halfway through, I, I was like, fuck it. <laughs> I just dropped the barbell and I went for a run, a gentle, slow jog around, you know, and then kind of timed it. So when I came back, I'd be back in the gym and everyone finished. So it wasn't like a snub to the coach. But yeah, that moment, just like you said, that was a huge kind of uh, lesson for me. Like you, it's okay. Again, we talked about analyzing. It's okay sometimes if you're getting frustrated working out or it feels like you're getting more stressed, then don't stop. Just deregulate. Do something, you know, get on the airdyne and just pedal slowly, row, go for a swim, walk on the beach. But yeah, move and that will help with that mental clarity. But don't just stop and look at your Facebook feed because that will have the reverse effect. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's everything, everything's connected, you know, and again, the, when we know we're supposed to do something and we're not doing it, it just, it's just that one more thing that just irks us. Right. And again, starts to kind of break us down. Um, and then you do that with your relationships. You do that with your finances. It's just one kind of little failure after the next of, of these things that, you're looking the other way on. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It is indeed. All right. Well, two two things about your story with the um, atrial flutter before we kind of move on to the magazine. We'll, really, we'll spend some time exploring that. Firstly, you said you had four ablations. Kind of walk me through the physiology of why the first three didn't work because I'm genuinely, you know, I'm not well-versed in that procedure. The, the way it was explained to me is, you know, your heart, uh, surface area is, is a large, it's a large surface area. So um, they have to kind of isolate where this impulse or this electroactivity is coming in to influence the heart. Um, so they start kind of burning patterns where they, they stimulate the heart with electricity to get the heart to flutter. And then they cauterize and basically create scar tissue so that um, that current can't come back through the heart. So it's just a matter of kind of finding it and, and, you know, kind of creating, you know, creating the scenario and then kind of ablating to, to isolate it. So it's just, that was really, it's common to kind of have it multiple times. Um, but for me, it was kind of isolating the, the arteries coming back to the heart from the lungs is where I was, I guess the biggest, um, that was, that was the one that kind of sealed the deal and fixed me completely. So I have, you know, that was, I was kind of, you don't know how you feel, um, until you, you know, you, you kind of start getting back to your life and doing things and you're, you're an outpatient, right? Like you go in, it's a three hour surgery. So there's some different scopes and things that have to happen before just to make sure there's no blood clots. But, 
um, you know, you're kind you're an outpatient. So you walk, you walk out that day type thing. So, or the next day, um, which is really weird. And, uh, you know, your catheter is going up through your femoral veins and it's, uh, you know, it's, you're awake. I was awake for two of them while they're doing it. I could feel the the burning in the heart. Um, just, I just felt like a lab rat. I, I had blood work I, every morning before, you know, um, you know, the kids would, when, when my kids were little, right. So they, they, you know, wake them up for school, but you still had to make sure they were dressed and fed and, and all these things. But meanwhile, I was going to get blood work done in the morning before anybody even woke up. So I could get back. So when I could wake my kids up. So this went on for the year really. And, um, I just felt like I was getting poked and prodded and, and kind of a lab rat type feel. And, and just, uh, again, you forgot what normal even felt like it became, that became my normal waiting in line to get my blood taken or, you know, and it's just, yeah, just, uh, crazy. But, um, that's, that's why I had four ablations. Um, and I hope I never have another one. (laughs) Well, that you know, so the thing that was happening simultaneously is obviously you were sleeping every night too. So, of course, you know, a big part of your recovery was getting your heart to actually pump the way it was designed to. Did you notice cognitively, you know, the the reversal of some of the sleep deprivation that you'd had in your career too? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, going to bed was when I really felt my heart race. So during the day, um, I felt okay. It was when I lay down to go to, to go to sleep. My heart was still at 160 beats per minute. So it, it just, it took a while to be able to even drift off to sleep. And I couldn't lay, I couldn't sleep on my left side. My heart would just spin right out. So it was, uh, yeah. So what, after the ablations being able to lay on my left side was when I kind of mentally started saying, you know what, I think you're, I think you are getting better. And I think you are better. Um, so there was, you know, just some stigmas with certain things. Working out was one, sleep was another one that I didn't know how that, you know, those were the moments when I started working out and feeling good. It was like, okay, I, I'm starting to believe that I'm I'm feeling better. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, again, part of my story. Um, and uh, I hope I never have to do it again. But uh, I'm just glad it was me and not one of my kids or my wife or, you know. And anyways, I'd, I'd rather it be me than anybody else. So. It was something I had to go through and here I am. So I, uh, you know, and everything, the heart is an interesting muscle. It, it's like any other muscle, it, it can be strengthened and, you know, so allowing my heart, my heart completely restored itself, the wall thicknesses the you know, my heart was starting to enlarge, uh, trying to bring in more blood to do, to do the you know, same amount of work. So um, the, it was kind of neat watching the physiology of the heart kind of restore after, you know, different appointments and, and, um, you know, it was just kind of neat to, to kind of watch that happen and then getting the clean bill of health that everything is completely restored. And my heart is, my heart was actually very healthy. That's the ironic part is my heart was so strong that it was able to continue to pump like at that, these, at this, at this rate, which most people would have, you know, their heart would have given out a long time ago and somehow and that's where and you know that's where the the medical director was kind of sitting at my bed is is just it was kind of marveled at the fact that my heart could do what it was doing for as long as it was doing it so that was kind of the you know the interesting part so my heart coming back um it's not it's not that it was weak it was weakened but it's you know i'm actually a very strong heart which is kind of interesting too um you know on that front so yeah. Well, I think that's another 
another comment that I might have had from quite a few people on here, whether it was Matt Chan, who's a high-level CrossFit athlete. He came off his mountain bike and the saddle went into his one of the branches off the femoral artery. But because he was so muscular and so fit, it almost had like a tourniquet effect and clamped down on that that um, artery. He was he was bleeding, but he didn't bleed out. Um, but a number of people that have been on here with, you know, in the military, some of the injuries they've had, and it was their strength and conditioning that saved them, you know? So, you know, I, I don't know if you ever had the, oh, it's the fit guys that always get hurt or, you know, whatever, but the fit guys save their own lives as well. The, pro- I think the problem that we see in the fire service is a lot of the fit guys don't have the rest and recovery to fully benefit from their program because that's when we heal. That's when we grow. But to hear, I love reversal of disease stories yes there was a you know a medical procedure and this is where medicine definitely is is doing very well but you know you can have that reversal with diet and exercise not not so much with the the a flutter but with some of the coronary diseases so i hope this gives you know hope to some people out there listening that maybe you're suffering from something similar whether it's an arrhythmia or maybe it's you know more of a chronic heart disease issue we can the body wants to go back to homeostasis we just have to give it the tools to do it yeah, it definitely. It's, you know, it's not everyone's story, but um, it's definitely, you know, living proof that it, it did happen, um, which is, which is great. I'm, you know, very grateful for it, um, you know, to be given a, a second chance that way um, without getting too deep. But um, yeah, it's, it's, the body's an amazing, amazing thing, really. Absolutely. Well, one one area you touched on, I want to make sure we don't miss this before we go into Crackle. Um, you said about the phone not ringing as you started getting deeper into that year. That's another thing I've heard a lot that, you know, people who have lost a partner, I think it was always wives in these particular conversations. They said everyone was there at the hospital, at the funeral, but then it was after, you know, days, weeks after that, that it just kind of went away. It's something I think that we as a profession need to think about. And, and one person doesn't need to make all the phone calls. If we just if we buddy up, whoever was close, have that person remember to reach out. So, you know, we're not trying to blanket an entire fire department, but it's so easy to to, to fall through the cracks um, if we're all assuming someone else is going to call. So can I just tell me about briefly about that that element of it for you? And then how did that feel from a mental health perspective? Yeah, it's it was probably the hardest part of it all. Um, you know, not, again, not, not the phone not ringing um, was something that just it devastated me. I think because I realized that people don't know what to say to me. They they you know I'm that I'm that guy now. Um, I'm the one that you know don't call him. He's he's not feeling well. Or um, you know meanwhile I would have loved to have you know someone come over and it's it's just very interesting. And but I mean again to step back from that we're not good at dealing with this stuff. We don't want to see people that we may look up to or uh, someone that's our friend to, to be hurt, you know, and not doing well. So we, we don't, we don't want those memories either. And we, you know, and we don't know what to do. So I think me being in my position, you know, again, I, I can't change people. I can only change myself. So I should have been the one maybe reaching out in some capacity to say, Hey man, it's okay to give me a call. Um, you know, or I'd love to chat and stop, stop waiting for everyone to come to me um, and be like, if that's what I want, then, then go get what you want. If you want people to be around you, then, then, you know, ask them to be around you. Um, and I think, which is again, easier said than done. Um, we want to sit back and say, well, my phone's not ringing and, and, you know, everyone sucks. 
it's it should be or well, maybe they're confused maybe they don't know what to do and i think i think there is some ownership in that in any relationship it's always a two-way street it's never you come to me now because i'm not doing well and i'll come to you and you're not doing like how is that ever going to work so i think you have to set expectations and and for me i i didn't um you know i i started I, I basically, you know, um, was okay with my phone not ringing for a while and just got used to it and kind of slower pace and, and stuff like that. But um, when I was feeling better and, and the phone started ringing again, I definitely was so glad that that, that was happening. And I remember, you know, kind of thinking, okay, I'm back, you know, again, this is another, another one of those things that had to happen. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. And then the mental health side of it, again, I was wondering if I could even do the job anymore. I was the longer, again, the longer I was out, you start thinking about it. The, um, you know, just am I, you know, the whole mental side of it, of just being who you want to be and and resetting. But um, yeah, it was, it was tricky. And I could see, I could definitely, it's almost like I was looking at the cliff and looking down saying like, I can see where this is. I'm either going to not be happy or I'm going to start stepping back from that, that, that ledge and just say, okay, like, you know, you got to figure this out, you know, type thing. So definitely, you know, I felt it. Right. And, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the mind is, it plays tricks on you. That I've, I've learned that it plays tricks on you. And um, when you're, when you're not feeling well, it's not the time to be the assessing yourself. That's the problem. And we, you know, so that's, that's where the magazine kind of comes in is it wasn't, it was never designed to, um, you know, have someone off on PTSD and they read the magazine and they come back to work on Monday because they feel great again. That was never the purpose. The purpose was to keep us going to work. It was the little nuggets, little stories that, you know, just different things to have us turn our attention a little bit to some of these day-to-day things and, and help us give us tools before we need them is really where I was kind of going with this magazine. Um, Again, when you're not feeling well, then that's not the time to start assessing yourself because that's the last thing that your, your mind is going to do. Right. So it's before it's before the problem it's the it's and it's the um you know not being reactive it's being proactive absolutely well you you said as well earlier that you started the magazine um not wanting to be from the perspective of you presenting as an expert and i can relate to that completely i say it all the time with this like i'm a perpetual student i know who the experts are and just as you touched on with the fire service Anytime someone tells me they're an expert in skill X in the fire service, I kind of go, how? <laughs> how, how, how are you an expert in this field when we need to be masters or a, a chase mastery of so many different skills? If you're a cardiologist, then yeah, you are an expert in, in cardiology and EKGs. But if you're telling me as a paramedic, you're an expert in EKGs, but you're responsible for systems and, you know, extrication, all these things, I, you know, I, I think that there are true experts out there that we can really pull from. And there are some obviously people in the fire service who are very, very good at different skills that we, that we do. Um, but, uh, so, so tell me about, you know, why you decided to, to, to create Crackle. Tell me about the name and then let's start talking about some of the, you know, the, the content as it were. Sure. Um, 
so I, you know, kind of stepping back. So I, I was uh, able to work for a company and, uh, you know, as, um, as a salesperson for publications. So uh, trade publications, B2B, and, and just really loved kind of that whole world. I, it was so different from firefighting. Uh, so doing the trade shows and, and different things and flying around um, just was so different. So for me, I, I associated with something that was great. I, I kind of love that world. Um, and then I, I kind of came up with an idea to, you know, support the magazines that are already out there. We have trade magazines now, your firehouse and your fire engineering, um, which in, uh, you know, firefighting in Canada, they, they have their purpose. They, they are our news. Um, they deliver training and tactics and, and, you know, for the firefighter to use. Um, but I just thought, why not have a magazine that focused on the firefighter as an individual? Um, so you have your men's health magazine, your women's health, your, your fitness magazines, your, uh, you know, your men's journal and, and, um, you know, they have a purpose. They, they help kind of the day to day. And I thought, well, why not take, you know, a magazine or a publication and, and kind of focus on the firefighter. And, um, so I kind of came up with six pillars. So there's health, lifestyle, fitness, finance, relationships, and stress. And I feel that everything that, you know, everything that, um, we need to be focusing on kind of falls under those categories. Um, and again, coming back to if, if we're already stressed out, um, in our world around firefighting, which is our finances, our relationships could be going through a divorce, could be, you know, uh, pushing, maybe, maybe you're, you're not have a relationship you want with your children, whatever. Um, then how can we come to work and handle what we, what we handle? Um, so to me, again, going back to that analogy is spilling some of that water out of the cup and, and creating a bit of room for the firefighter to, to not, you know, you know, when you drop a fork on the ground, you, you know, you kind of, that's enough to set you off. Like again, spill that water out. And if, if that's stressing you, then how, how can we, how can we handle our calls? So that was the whole premise of the magazine. Um, I've always asked myself questions like, am I one call away from not being able to do this job again? Like, like mentally, um, you know, is it a cumulative where it's, you know, different calls kind of add up or is it kind of, um, you know, how am I able to do my job? How come that whole running in the building when people are running out, we've heard that analogy, you know, over and over and it's just so worn out. But the, uh, the idea is, well, why, why am I doing that? So anyways, I just, I just started to kind of, um, I just thought these were great questions and how is it that we can do our jobs and, and what makes a firefighter, what, what makes us want to do this job? And then, you know, how can we improve how we fit into the world, uh, you know, our society. When we when we leave the fire hall, we're one way, and then we come home, and then you know we just say you've you know fought a house fire or whatever, uh, had a like kind of a career uh, fire or moment, and come home, and then you know now you're just spoon feeding your your infant some baby food and. Um, you know, and you got to get the recycling out and, uh, the garbage needs to be taken out. Like, how do we do these parallels in, in a day-to-day form, right? That makes sense to us. So anyway, so the magazine is basically helping us figure out where we fit in and, and how we can kind of go along and get along with what we're supposed to be 
getting along with. Um, and it's basically, that's where it all started. Um, you know, and again, I am a student to this. I, I, I don't have the answers and I'm, I'm searching for them. And, um, you know, and, and I feel that, you know, we're kind of getting there. We're starting to kind of expose some of these, some of these, uh, some of these issues we based on our personalities and our behaviors. And then you throw in the fire hall, um, you know, dynamics into that. So we were a type personalities and, um, you know, our behaviors are, we, we want to feel better. So we may buy a new truck, you know, and uh, feel better. Meanwhile, we don't have the money for the new truck, but you know, that it's that emotional high for the day. Um, you know, and all these things we've all done, we all know these, that what we're capable of doing those things. So, um, it's really kind of stopping us. And I call them like these traps that are set for us to fall into. And if we can recognize these traps, perhaps we can, you know, kind of create a better day, you know, and that's that day to day that I'm trying to fight for. So, well, I mean, I have to say, and I'm, you know, I said this before we recorded, I'll repeat it again to make sure it is recorded, but I think it's a beautiful magazine. I mean, you have the online component and that that's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that's free for all responders, the online. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and then there's the op- option if you want to purchase the, the uh, right. paper copy, which I'm going to do. But yeah, I mean, just knowing the kind of pillars that I try and cover on this, you know, and there's, you know, very, very similar structure to it. Um, and, you know, the articles are well written. You've got some really good people on there. Um, with, that diversity with with the the topics that you cover are there one or two um stories that you've had submitted to you that actually resonated with you personally yeah i think every story resonates with me personally because i'm the one picking the topics really um at this point you know in in the game so you know sourcing them and there's different levels to it um you know, one is meeting other firefighters that are that are doing well or figuring things out. And none of us would ever claim that we figured everything out, but we can definitely learn from each other. And I think that is a key component of this magazine is that we are going to learn from each other. Where where are we? What are we doing right? You know, what could we do better? How do you find your work life balance? What you know? Help me. Tell me. Tell me how I do this better. Um, so any of the personal stories are like, I find I, I have takeaways from all of them. Um, and then when I'm looking at, say it's more of a, uh, a clinical article or something from a, a doctor or something, you know, where they're exposing maybe, you know, something that, um, it, you know, again, it's, it's more about how something's working or what's happening in your body or you know, talk about sleep. Uh, we have an article, you know, called like, don't chase sleep. So I'm like, well, what's that? Right. So what do you mean? Don't chase sleep. And we've all been there. So it's um, every article kind of ha- resonates with me. And that's kind of the the whole purpose of it. it otherwise it wouldn't be there. Um, and, you know, kind of working through the, the different pillars and you're right. There, there's people out there that do have answers. And, um, but I'm really, the magazine is really our kitchen talk. We're, we're standing at the fire hall, you know, how was your week? What'd you, you know, what'd you do? And then, then, and then we start to expose, well, then they're, you know, the car broke down or this, I got a fight, you know, with her wife or her spouse. And then we start to kind of talk, you know, that's the real conversation. And that's us venting. That's us kind of getting the stuff off our chest. We've been, you know, say off for a few days and now we're back with our people, 
And, uh, and you know, that's when we kind of decompress in a lot of ways is, is venting to people that actually get us or understand what we're, you know, what we mean when we're complaining about just isn't the sink, you know, um, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so I, I find that, you know, this magazine is, is really just the, the kitchen talk kind of exploding. Um, and, and again, kind of pulling in an expert to, you know, kind of be in the room with us and answer some of these questions. And uh, again, I, I, I can't keep having the same fight with my wife over and over and over. It's just, for me, I have to find out why, what is happening? Why do I come home? And, you know, a, a dirty counter is what sets me off. Like, why? Like, what is it about me that, that, that I let that get to me? Meanwhile, here I am having, you know, a hell of a shift you know, maybe, you know, it doesn't matter what I dealt with. My point is, but that's the thing that, that sets me off. Right. So why is that? Um, and is it her fault? Is it my fault? Is it, am I exposing myself to something that should even matter? And, you know, and so that's kind of where I kind of dive into, because again, this is stuff we talk about. This is the stuff that drives us nuts. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just, again, that's where it all kind of starts is trying to figure out why we're so vulnerable in certain areas and and other areas we're like invincible you know yeah well i like as well with the kitchen table analogy because i would much rather talk about relationships financial strains than trump or biden or clinton or you know whoever you know what i mean so there are there are topics that we can discuss over the kitchen table that will actually make a difference that will be potentially healing and there are topics we can talk about over the kitchen table that will just amplify the stress we're already under so i think you know as as a company officer say hey i'm going to send you an article from this magazine read it we're gonna we're gonna talk about it over coffee you know what a great opportunity to actually educate each other and throw some ideas around i mean maybe out of that article comes something even more profound and i I, you know being a firefighter it extends beyond us if you're, if you, it becomes, you know, it's your family. It's, it's, it's beyond us um, as an individual too. So if, if our spouse can read an article about what we're going through or maybe how to deal with us, or maybe recognize when you're, when your firefighter in your life needs a timeout and just needs a minute, needs to polarize, um, you know, I come off, you know, see my string of shifts well, that it doesn't matter what day it is. It could be Monday morning. That's that's like Friday night to me. I, I'm, you know what I mean. Like, and so we're we're not we're not different pattern. We're um, so as a, as a spouse to recognize that okay, um, my firefighter's coming home. This is Friday to them. It's Monday, you know. So you know. So how you know this is their decompress. This is their time. So I would look. You know, if we can educate our spouses to say, the sooner my um, again, the firefighter in your life can decompress and conform back into the family again, the better your time off or your, your time will be. Right. And I think there's definitely a stigma with, um, you know, a, a firefighter coming home from say a long shift or, a, you know, it doesn't matter if there was any calls to say they're just fatigued, tired, just want to get back to their life or, or however it goes. But, you know, we're expecting to walk in the door and everyone run to the door. Like it's, you've been away. It feels like you've been around the world and now you've come home where, you know, at the end of the day, your family kind of carried on without you because you were on a long shift. And, you know, and as a firefighter, you have to recognize that you've, you know, you need them to be able to be okay without you because you're, you know, you have these long shifts. So, 
we almost should go home and and be the one open armed and and go after everyone and give them a hug. So I think if we can start to kind of recognize that, that, you know, know, a lot of times I just looked at it when I recognized that my wife and I were both single parents that changed how I looked at our job. Um, She's doing everything she can and she's, whether she's juggling jobs, kids, it doesn't matter. The point is she's doing everything she can. And then I come back and then she goes to work and then I do everything I can. Who cares about the dishes in the sink? I, at the end of the day, the point is that, you know, it's just, it's the changing of the guard. I like to call it where, you know, the kids are, you have them in your possession and then, uh, you know, and away you go. So um, I, I, again, recognizing single parents that that is what changed the dynamic for me when I looked at our relationship and it was a game changer. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's something that, that just comes up over and over again. I think you, what you have where there's an environment where things don't change is you have two camps and they point at each other, you know, whether it's politically, whether it's mask wearing, whatever the hell it is. And the answer seems to be when you have ownership on both sides. So for the individual, as you said, let's talk about mental health. You are depressed, you know. There's an element of ownership that you have to let people know that you're going through something. But there also has to be an environment where you feel comfortable letting people know. You know what I mean? So that's ownership of other people. So, and I, I agree 100%, like with the, the scenario of the, uh, the, the, the counter. And I remember my ex, we always go on at me about leaving breadcrumbs on the, on the cutting board and I'm making myself breakfast at, you know, five in the morning before I go do 24, 48 hour shift. She at the time wasn't even working. So to me, it's, you know, without um, censoring myself as well, why don't you clean the fucking breadboard? (laughs) But the reality was, even though, you know, I feel in that situation that was insensitive, it was something where if we'd actually communicate and like, look, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing this food, I'm running out the door. Is there any way you'd be able to do that? You know, I mean, or, you know, if I have the opportunity, I will. But, you know, if I'm making toast and trying to fling out the door to not be late is, you know, so just, again, it's both of us. Yeah. It's me, it is, yeah. me, Absolutely. you know, being sensitive and doing it when I can. Hey, if I haven't that morning, would you mind getting it? You know, so that, so there's that, that relationship. But yeah, the moment you're pointing and assuming someone else to take ownership is when, when we regress. Right. I mean, again, going back to the pillars is the biggest problems firefighters have usually um, studies are finding is that it's financial and in relationships it's those are the those are the ones that are really kind of affecting our day-to-day um you know which when you hear it it's like yeah that's 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 pretty much what we talk about half the time is is you know those type of things so again the the, the magazine is not meant to to kind of deal in extremes it's meant to kind of be for the active firefighters that that are showing up going to work it's it's a chew toy for them to read, learn a little bit, um, you know, be, be amused, something for us to kind of, to be learning, um, kind of planting these little seeds and, and, and just on a, you know, kind of a brick by brick to, to be better, you know, and challenge you very much like the firefighter calling me out on my fitness. It's, um, we, that's what we want to keep doing. We want to keep talking about fitness. We want to keep talking about nutrition, um, but in a, in a way that it makes sense to a firefighter, you know, there's firefighters have a basic level of knowledge. So to read, I found most articles when they talked about something that I was interested in kind of started and stopped before 
of you know, where, you know, the knowledge I, I had myself already. So I want to kind of start where most articles stop and go from there. Let's assume that we're all firefighters. Let's assume that, um, you know, we're all having issues or not having issues. What are we doing well? What, are, what aren't we doing well? But let's start there and then, then kind of build an article from that um, and get above this kind of, you know, let's, let's do the third floor and start there. So that's kind of where I, where I'm kind of fighting for in, in the articles and, and trying to get above the noise level that firefighters have, um, and a be, and have them be amused. Um, there was, this happened two days ago. I seen a, um, a post in a social media, um, thread that it was talking about what is crackle. And then, someone had piped in and said, you know, it's probably just a book full of recipes. So, and that, again, I I chuckled because I'm like, that is typically what we get half the time is, is this fluff, um, you know, stuff. That's what firefighters need to get through the day is another recipe book. It it isn't right. We, um, I mean, so anyway, I just, I thought it was kind of, I wanted to answer the thread and then I I left it, but I I just, uh, I'll probably never forget that. So um, the point is this magazine is not another recipe book. It is not, you know, full of fluff. It is really trying to educate and expose um, issues that we have on a day-to-day. Um, again, some some will do through humor. Some will do through, you know, just, you know, maybe, uh, again, some, some more, maybe some dry content. We'll try to mix that in where you're learning something on a, on a uh, professional level and then, you know, kind of have some things for your or amusement. So yeah, and that's, that's pretty much kind of where we're going. Um, and it is free. It's we've, we've made it where you can download the magazine for free. It's, it's 100% free. And that was so important to me to be able to not like number one, collect this information, but two, to make sure that we get it. Um, and, and I, there's no excuse to not get it. Um, so that's kind of, that's where it all started. Um, and we, in a world where they say print is dead and, and uh, you know, we talk about publications, but for me, I don't think print is dead at all. Um, and when you, we can hold these magazines in our hand and have them at the fire hall in the back of the toilet seat or whatever, you know, that that's where we're going to read this magazine and, and have it where it's available for, you know, for the firefighters. So um, that was a big component for me. And we're not putting together a, like a 20 page magazine. It's, it's a hundred page magazine. It is literally, it is, we're going back in time where magazines were, were full and vibrant and, and something that was worth reading where um, I'm fighting for that, where it's, it's a nice thick magazine that it's, you know, it's something that we can be proud of as a firefighter or a first responder to read and, and have it sitting on our coffee table, um, you know, and, and not, you know, kind of, and make sure we open it, you know, that type of thing. So. I think yeah. that's what killed. I, mean, I used to read Men's Health, some other ones, and and partly as you get deeper into some of the strength and conditioning, some of that you're like, okay, some of this is actually kind of not good information. <laughs> yeah. But the other yeah. side was you'd yeah. open it up, and you know, you buy. That's, I used to buy magazines when I fly. So, and then you're just leafing through advert after advert after advert to even get to a page of content. And I think that's what turned a lot of people off. I don't think it's even the the holding. I mean, I I definitely have had more um, paperbacks sold in my book than I have Kindle editions, like multiple times. People want to hold a book, 
but they just want it to to be predominantly. I know there's obviously advertising that needs to fund some of these projects, but when the advertising becomes, you know, dilutes the content, I think that's what turned off a lot of people on, on magazines specifically. Yeah. No, I think um, again, it's it's just it's the information in it. So when you when you look at a men's health magazine or uh, you see even you know men's journal, like, there's some articles that may resonate with you, but they're kind of far and few in between. I found as time's gone on. Um, and I think as soon as you can stop relating to the the magazine on a on a personal level, then the advertising is a separate. It, it starts to detach as well. Like, um, and when you look at a men's health magazine, they're basically stand, saying that their market is is anybody that stands up and pees, and that's uh, you know that's uh, that's their market. And I've it's such a, a vast you know we have IT people, we have professionals, we have you know, military, police, fire, we have, um, you know, business owners, we have like just mash of people. And, and how can you say that, you know, these, it's another ab workout. It's another, um, you know, just, again, it's uh, um, same content, every, every, every issue. And some of it is amusing. So, you know, we're really trying to take that to heart um, with this magazine and, and try to kind of make sure we're touching all four corners of, of, you know, what a firefighter is. And, and, um, you know, again, having, we're getting away, we're going to like a consumer style advertising model where we're, we're trying to have, uh, you know, placement of, of, um, products and services that would cater to a, a first responder or a firefighter that would be interested in, uh, again, coming back to our our time off, whether it's camping or whether it's you know hiking or or mountain biking or um, you know that type of thing or or travel or when that comes back, so that's where we're kind of really trying to you know help the firefighter on that front too. Is maybe it's you know um, different ideas and different things or that can help them on a day to day that uh, you know we're searching we're searching for all the time. Yeah, well, I think that's that's what I do with this podcast too, and I've been very fortunate enough to to get some sponsors now. But I've sought each and every one of them. So you know, naming some that are current and some that are in the past. You know, um, Five Eleven, love it. Wear their stuff all the time. You know, Thorn, the supplement company, trusted by all the the professional leagues of pretty much every sport. You know, and we have a, a group of men and women that need supplementation, not creatine and protein, you know, like vitamins and minerals and all these things. Um, uh, GovX, another one. It's free. You just sign up and you get stuff discounted, you know. I mean, FitAid, I think, I mean, the FocusAid through the FitAid company, I think is a great alternative to a lot of these energy drinks. So these are all p- things that I use that are allowing me to provide all these podcasts for free to our audience. So you're doing the same thing, you know, and I think that's that's awesome because people are going to spend that money. What you're doing, what I'm trying to do is like, hey, here's here's who I spend my money with and here's why. And that hopefully will help you make an informed decision of which of these companies truly aligns with our profession, truly gets us and their products will truly have the efficacy that they claim they do. Right. And, you know, we only get 100 pages in the magazine. So it's, you know, for argument's sake. So if if there's going to be a, a product or a service in there, it's it, I just want it to benefit us in some way, shape or form. You know, um, it's, it's just so important to me in the in the fibers of this magazine that we just kind of continue to fight for those those things. Um, you know, and and I've turned advertising away in, in a time when we could use the support being, you know, a new publication and, and, you know, raising capital. 
I've turned advertising away because it gets away from our mission. It gets away from, again, a firefighter, you cannot, you can't con a con man. And, and that's, we know what we like, we, we know, and um, I have to fight for that and in every issue and, and every article has tried to kind of stay as true as we can to what a firefighter would, would want to see or not, you know, um, and I'm focusing on firefighters, but we, we know paramedics and policing and, and, and military, but really it's for, you could, anybody could read the magazine and, and have takeaways from it because it's, it's kind of getting down to what makes us who we are and, and ask questions about, you know, where we fit into certain, certain situations. So. Absolutely. Well, most importantly, then, where can people find the magazine? How do they subscribe digitally? And if they want, how do they get uh, paper copies? Right. So uh, we have a website that um, that we you know has a ton of articles on it. But the easiest thing is just to subscribe through the website at cracklemag.com um, and you know and sign up. You can sign up for digital or the the subscription, so you can have it mailed to your door um, and that type of thing. So it's a quarterly magazine. So. We're currently working on our summer issue, which we're very excited about. Um, we've done a crossover. Uh, we have Steve Lemmy from uh, Tacoma FD and, and the director of Super Troopers on the cover. And um, anyways, it's just it's just been such a, you know, I think just such a fun project to kind of put together where we have um, on the surface, it would be here as an actor um, that portrays to be a firefighter and has a show, but really when you when i look at it from my perspective i'm looking at a show that is kind of exploits and exaggerates some things that go on in the firehouse and and i find it very amusing because it's a way we are we are learning from from even watching that a certain like what's silly what's what's funny and we do these you know things and they, their interpretation of 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 that firehouse is is you know I just find it again. It's just amusing. It's it's um, they do, they do it very well, and so to have that kind of crossover into this magazine, where we're trying to be serious on one side, and then we 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 have this kind of fun side to it as well. And um, so it's you know we're excited about this next issue. So um, yeah, again, it's a quarterly quarterly magazine. So we're yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Um, I've got a couple of closing questions for you, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. But the first one I'd love to ask, is there a book that you love to recommend that could be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I don't really have anything specific that I would say is kind of like my, um, my silver bullet as far as a, a publication goes. And, and my reason is that I just find that I take so many things from, from different things um, I read, or I don't even know where they come from half the time, um, to be honest. And I try to, I do that on purpose um, and allows me to kind of not, it allows me to be open um, and ready to take, to kind of be that sponge. But, um, you know, I, I definitely, when you get into, um, you know, different self-help books and things like that, um, it's, I find I, I relate to some of them for most of it. And then I kind of trail off. So I don't, I don't really have, you know, a bullet. Um, I mean, your book is up there, so <laughs> that's Thank good. You. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, I, I don't really have, because I, I, I'm into so many different things and honestly, it's um, I try to not 
get frustrated. So I have, you know, it's, I find if I just take parts and pieces of things, I never get frustrated that way. Beautiful. What about a movie or documentary? Any of those that you love? Um, these are probably the toughest questions you could ask. Me. <laughs> it seems like uh, it. <laughs> I'll tell you about a flutter all day. Just don't ask me about a book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, you know, it's funny. This is the way, uh, this is the way my brain works um, or doesn't work. I, I guess as, you know, as far as shows would be, I, I resort to a lot of classic stuff. I go back to my childhood movies, like your, your action movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. It's, it's, I find it's not very serious. Um, you know, we go that way or you look at your, um, you know, your dramas, your Shawshank Redemptions and things like that. My, my favorite movie I think of all time is probably The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, just the story where the, you know, has revenge. It has, has, uh, you know, depression and, and it has, you know, devastation. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, everyone gets, gets what they want. It had the happy ending. So, um, you know, stuff like that. I, I definitely like the, uh, the, um, you know, your, your series where you're uh, Longmire and uh, Hell on Wheels and stuff like that, where you're, you know, the strong, strong roles, um, yeah, Yellowstone, stuff like that. So definitely like the, the, the people that I can kind of relate to in the sense of, um, yeah, just a, I like happy endings, I guess, as far as um, the uh, fairy tale ending. So yeah, for sure. Brilliant. All right. Next question. Is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? There's one is Danielle um, for first in wellness. She is kind of, kind of, she has a heck of a team around her um, in, in kind of putting together uh, programs for fire departments and stuff um, in, in dealing with, uh, you know, just the, the overall wellness um, category. And uh, so that would be, you know, someone that I would uh, definitely recommend. Yeah, she's been on already, actually. Yeah, she was fantastic. Another one, actually, um, I I love um, his work. So Steve, you mentioned Steve Lemmy. Is that someone that you have a connection with or was that a one-off? Yeah, definitely. Um, Steve is, he's been, like such an approachable person, um, you know, and very interesting Um he would definitely be one. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Because I mean, I think, like you said, when they do it right, and obviously tongue in cheek, in my in my opinion, is the way to do it right. There's no firehouse in America, and I'm sure Canada, that doesn't quote super troopers on a daily basis. So uh, yeah, I think that if you're able to help me connect, that that'll be awesome. I mean, you know, you have the article coming out and give us an opportunity to talk about Crackle as well. But uh, yeah, I'm always looking for those different perspectives, so it does keep it you know new and interesting. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely like the uh, the firefighters that are that are getting it done as well. And um, yeah, brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you personally. Um, what do you do to decompress these days? Well, um, I'm uh, I play music. Like I'm in a band, so I find that 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 helps. Um, you know, just kind of that. Uh, it's like kind of my step away. Um, definitely spending time with friends is probably my favorite, favorite thing to do. And, and when I say friends, I mean like my family and, you know, and their kids and, and every, you know, just kind of, I, I like that having people around me that I enjoy their company, you know, um, those would be my biggest, you know, decompression points is just surrounding my, surrounding myself with things that make me happy, I guess is, is kind of, 
what what's important. So when I get done a shift, I I want to I want to have people over. I want to do something, you know, that type of thing. I've always been that way. So that's how I decompress. It's definitely not, you know, um, sitting down isolated in in you know, watching a movie is not how I decompress at all. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question, if people want to reach out to you personally on social media or any other platforms, where are the best places to find you? Uh, the best would be either LinkedIn um, or Instagram. Um, so it'd be at Crackle Mag um, or Facebook. Any of those mediums will get to me. I mean, that we're, we're at the point that we, we manage that stuff our, ourselves and it's not uh, some big company that that's you know we have people in place we we do everything ourselves so um and the website as well can they can contact through there beautiful well Corey, i just want to say thank you it's been a, a great conversation again you know the the the, the focus of the story of the, of the conversation obviously was crackle and letting people know about that but as with every conversation it's the it's the human story behind it and what you went through you know, early in your career, leading up to your medical event, and then the fact that you came back to full duty after, I think is a hugely inspiring part of your story. So thank you for coming on and sharing it today. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. And, and you know, I hope that uh, I hope someone can relate to it, you know, and I, I hope that, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is that we just, we give ourselves the leverage and the space to, to create an environment for us to be okay. And I think that's, that's the ultimate takeaway from from all of this is you know trying to be okay